Dear Christian friends, if you were hired as an executive chef at an exclusive restaurant and yet you couldn't manage to put out a decent plate of food or you never bothered to set foot in the kitchen, it'd probably be a short matter of time before you'd find yourself looking for another job. The same way if you sign a lucrative contract as a quarterback in the NFL and you struggle to even complete a pass, let alone score any touchdowns, you'd very likely find yourself riding the pine or looking for a contract with another team very soon. Or if you signed on for a movie to star in, in a role in a movie that ended up flopping at the box office and you did this repeatedly, chances are you'd struggle to be finding that much more opportunity to act in any movies in the future. It just kind of goes without saying. It's the way that things work. When you're hired to do a certain job, if you don't do that job, well, you'll find somebody else who can do it. In a nutshell, that's kind of what Jesus' parable today is all about. This is what Jesus wrapped up or concluded his parable saying. He said, Therefore I tell you that the kingdom of God will be taken away from you and given to a people who will produce its fruit. Those who are in the vineyard are in the business of producing fruit. And quite frankly, as the parable illustrates, if, if those who are in the vineyard won't produce fruit, then God will take it away and give it to somebody who will. Martin Luther illustrated this when he talked about the word of God and, and God's gospel being kind of like a rain cloud, which doesn't stay in one place very long, but, but will move on to the next place. And especially so if, as he was chastising his fellow Germans, they don't cling to, they don't adhere, they don't listen to and appreciate the word as it's being preached and taught in their midst. The point is that Jesus tells us through this parable that, that God is searching for fruit. And if he doesn't find it in his vineyard, then he'll give that vineyard to somebody else. You'll notice the, the parable that we're looking at today is quite a bit lengthier than the one last Sunday. It was short and sweet. Last Sunday was three verses, three characters. Today is a little bit longer. And yet, even with more details, one of the things that we can be confident of is, is that the point is still very clear because Jesus brings that point out. We just heard it, that the Lord is looking for fruit. And it's because we have the assurance of knowing what his point in this parable is that we actually can also appreciate the other details that make up this parable as well. As we look at those, Jesus describes in his parable this vineyard. Let's understand what he's talking about in that picture. When he starts off the parable in verse 33 saying, There was a landowner who, who planted a vineyard. He put a wall around it, dug a wine press in it, and built a watchtower. Pretty straightforward. Now, as we look at the Old Testament history and we apply this parable very specifically to God's people, the Israelites, we see that really God did so much. God did everything for them to set them up for success. Think of all the way back to the beginnings of the Jewish nation, the Israelites, as Joseph was king or Pharaoh's right-hand man in Egypt. And after he discovered his brothers and his, discover, his brothers discovered who he was, he invited the whole family to come and live in Egypt, but not just any part in Egypt, a very nice fertile pasture land for their sheep in Goshen. But God didn't stop there. He, he when they uh, later on had been enslaved by the Egyptians because a, a following Pharaoh didn't know who they were, 
God delivered them from Egypt and from that slavery through the Exodus, raising up Moses to take them out of Egypt. And and even as they were in the wilderness, God showed how much he cared for and loved them and that he was with them by that that special tabernacle, that movable tent, so to speak, or, or movable church that went with them everywhere. God was showing them he was very visibly, very much with them. And not only that, on the top of Mount Sinai, as Moses went up there, God gave his people special commandments, special laws and regulations that weren't intended to be a burden, but really a blessing to hedge them in, to set them apart from the rest of the world so that the world wouldn't corrupt them, so that by living according to these laws, they would be blessed as God's special people. And then, of course, you remember where he he led them finally to that land flowing with milk and honey, the promised land, which again was was far and above anything that they had deserved, uh, a ripe land that was ready for them to, to populate it as his chosen people. In fact, everything that Jesus is describing in this parable is exactly what the prophet Isaiah talked about in the first lesson today. It's hard not to think that, that Jesus had these words of Isaiah the prophet in mind. In Isaiah chapter 5, he says, I will, give, I will sing for the one I love a song about his vineyard, My loved one had a vineyard on a fertile hillside. He dug it up and cleared it of stones and planted it with the choicest vines. He built a watchtower in it and cut out a wine press as well. That's the picture of of what God would do for his people to set them up, to provide for them so that they in turn could provide abundant fruit. So it's clear what the, the picture of the vineyard is in the parable We also want to identify who the people are that are identified in the parable. Probably the the easiest one, the most plain, straightforward, is, of course, the son of the landowner. It doesn't take a, a lot of detective work to understand that must refer to the son of God, Jesus, our Savior. But what about the the tenants, the ones that the landowner entrusted his vineyard to? Well, As Matthew records for us, their response to the parable, that is the chief priests and the Pharisees, the teachers of the law to whom Jesus was speaking this parable, their response shows they knew full well who the tenants were as well. These are the verses that follow the parable in 45 and 46. When the chief priests and the Pharisees heard Jesus' parables, they knew he was talking about them. They looked for a way to arrest him, but they were afraid of the crowd because the people held that he was a prophet. So they demonstrate very clearly that they knew the tenants, the wicked tenants, that referred to them. Well, that leaves us then with the servants that the landowner sent into his vineyard to collect the harvest. Those could only be the prophets that God sent to his his people again and again and again throughout the whole history of the Old Testament to call them to repentance, to share the word of God, to proclaim God's promises and and deliverance should they turn from their ways of the world and and turn back to the Lord. So we see who the people in the parable are. Now it's clear how that parable at the time of Jesus telling it applied, but is it as clear today for us? What's the application today today? Well, surely there must be a reason that God recorded it for us in Scripture. And it's not just so that we would say, ah, those Pharisees are at it again, those chief priests, the teachers of the law, Jesus' enemies, taking him to task again, and he's putting them in their place 
as if we roll our eyes and we point our finger at them. And, and if we don't realize that that can be what we do sometimes when we, we see Jesus accuse them, then we might miss that it's through that very reaction, it's through our response to Jesus' condemnation of them, that we actually are, are kind of the modern-day counterpart of the Pharisees, thinking that we are, are somehow better than they are, as if that's why Jesus recorded these parables, so we could feel better about ourselves. No, the way that we guard against falling into that pharisaical trap is to see how this parable does apply to us. And it very much does today, because otherwise Jesus would not have told it or recorded it for us. First, one of the ways that the parable applies is the warning that is given through the tenants in how they treated the servants who were sent to them. If we recognize that the, that warning can apply to the modern-day tenants, those who are the, the leaders in the church, then we see reason to, to give pause and to give warning. How does that apply to the modern-day pastor or, or the, the head or the leader of some ministry or organization? Well, those tenants forgot whose vineyard it was, didn't they? They, they were the ones that were entrusted to care for the landowner's vineyard. It wasn't their vineyard. And when pastors, when, when church leaders, organizational leaders forget that and they insist on taking the wheel and, and driving and, and directing the organization to go where they want to, maybe to serve some selfish agenda or to line their pockets or whatever else it might be, they are running the risk of the same sort of action that the tenants took against God really an affront against the landowner to forget that it's, it's his organization, congregation, ministry. It's, it's the Lord's. He entrusts those who lead his church to care for his vineyard, not to serve their own agenda or their own interests or to disregard what anybody else wants or to disregard what the landowner, the father himself, wants. So there is a warning there for, for modern-day church leaders, pastors, and, and others. But there's also an, another way to consider the tenants. It's not just the, the offense that they caused to the landowner, but as they also treated the servants that the landowner sent. And that one really applies to all of us as Christians. When we mistreat or abuse, not necessarily stone to death or, or murder or kill God's representatives in his church, but when we mistreat or abuse them as well, there's a warning there for us, isn't it? How does, how does that happen? Well, in, in this day and age when we can listen to, to any podcast, any sermon, any video online, if, if we don't like a particular leader or pastor or preacher, we can go anywhere. And that's not necessarily a bad thing. It's a blessing in a lot of ways. But if it means that we are undermining that sort of leadership or the shepherd that God has called to serve us, then we better heed that, that warning in the parable. This also applies when, when God's representatives, his, his elders, leaders in the church who are called to care for us spiritually, when they make concerted efforts to, to reach out, to nurture our faith, to see how we're doing, to check on us, or to, to rebuke, to correct, to admonish, and we turn away from that, turn a deaf ear or a blind eye to those efforts and, and totally disregard them, we are essentially behaving like the tenants who, who mistreated and abused God's servants in the parable. And I suppose as that happens, we must recognize the scary parallel that can happen. 
because just as those tenants were really in abusing or mistreating the servants, really what they were doing was they were abusing, mistreating the landowner himself. So when we despise preaching and God's word and, and those that God has, has put in a place to care for us spiritually, when we disregard them, it's really as if we're telling God himself, we don't think that you're going about this the right way. We don't really care for your efforts at providing spiritual nurture or, or growth for us. But here is actually the, the really beautiful thing about this parable. As much as, as this is a condemnation or a, a warning uh, to not only leaders in the church, but all of us in the church in, in how we treat God's servants who have been called to serve us with the gospel, remember the landowner is looking for fruit. And one of the most beautiful pieces of fruit that the Lord craves is that of repentance. Which is a, a turning away, an acknowledging of of when we have behaved like those tenants in the vineyard and turning from that and turning to, to the one who is exactly what we need, the son himself, the suffering servant, the one who, who never disrespected God's authority, the landowner, his father, who never even mistreated the, those who were called to serve him on earth. Even when he rebuked the religious leaders, he did so patiently, gently, wanting them to come to repentance and he always carried out to the Father's will as well. Jesus, our perfect Savior, he bore perfect fruit for us, didn't he? And we look to him in, in repentance. Our response, we pray, is not like that of the chief priests and the Pharisees upon hearing this parable, who, though they knew that it was directed at them, didn't heed that call to repentance, but instead plotted and connived and ultimately ended up fulfilling the parable in murdering the Son, in crucifying Jesus. No, let us not respond that way, but instead swallow that bitter pill of repentance. And do so with the confidence that, again, that is one of the most beautiful pieces of fruit that God desires to see in his vineyard, a turning away from our ways and turning to the Lord. That is what, what makes him grin from ear to ear when he sees that ongoing act of, of repentance and confession in our lives. So God delights in the pastor who confesses to the Lord that sometimes I have forgotten this isn't my vineyard, it's, it's yours, and I'm simply privileged to serve in it. And it's not my place to drive and direct things where I want them to go without your guidance. And forgive me for abusing that role of, of leadership and the authority that you have given me to shepherd your people and putting my own agenda ahead of yours. That's the kind of fruit of repentance that, that God delights in his vineyard. And we as all of God's people, when we confess that, that we don't pray for God's servants nearly enough, when we acknowledge and, and repent of the times that we have not put their words or actions in the kindest possible light, when we confess that at times we have just walked away from the problem, we have avoided it and gone elsewhere rather than seeking reconciliation or healing if hurtful words have been spoken or actions been taken, we acknowledge those things and in repentance we bring forth the most abundant fruit possible. And, and that fruit is made perfect through the son of the landowner. The one who not only, as we pointed out, gave up his life, willingly was sacrificed to pay for all of our hidden agendas and our stubbornness and our refusal to hear faithfully the word. But the other side of that is, 
is the son's actions, his behavior, his life inspire and equip us to seek to bear abundant fruit too. Why? Because he has borne all the perfect fruit that is necessary to satisfy the Father. With his perfect life, he, he always appreciated those that were called to serve him. Remember, as a boy going to the temple, uh, Jesus listened and sat at the feet of, of those teachers, his religious servants, and also taught and, and instructed them. And Jesus always carried out the will of his Father, not ever going his own direction or wanting to carry out his own agenda. That's the perfect fruit that, that perfectly satisfies what the Father is looking for. And so what does that do but relieve us of that burden, that requirement of bearing perfect fruit for the Father? It's already been done. Jesus already carried it out perfectly for us. And so even our unrighteous fruit, our spoiled fruit, is seen as perfect through faith in Jesus because of his perfect fruit. And now, knowing that about the son of the landowner, the son of God, our Savior Jesus, who has not only forgiven our sins by his death at the hands of those wicked tenants, the Pharisees, and, and even because of, of our sin, but because of his life as well, we are, we are encouraged, we are compelled, we are spurred on to do what? To bear abundant fruit in our lives today. And what does that abundant fruit look like? Could it, be, could it be feeding millions of starving people? Could it be building 100,000 homes for the homeless? Could it be rescuing thousands of sex-trafficked children? It could be any of those things. Right now, maybe you stop and you think, well, those, those are big and lofty, aren't they? Well, of course they are. But, but why couldn't God bear fruit you on that kind of a scale. Oftentimes, frankly, it's because we don't think we're up to it, and what we're really saying is that we don't think God's able to do that in and through us. To that, I would simply respond, do you not know the history that is laid out for us in Scripture or through the rest of the world since then, the amazing things that God has done, the amazing and abundant fruit that he has produced through so many of his people? It's not because you can't and because I can't, it's because we forget that God can and we often don't give him the opportunity to bear that kind of fruit in our lives. Now for some, that may be in line and, and some of us may need to, to, to dream a bigger dream or, or to envision ourselves doing something as God enables and equips us to bear that kind of fruit. But for others, maybe the kind of fruit that, that the Lord is looking for is starts with reading your Bible. Maybe it's just the step of, of talking with your children about Jesus or praying with your wife. Maybe it's watching more of these worship videos or, or getting back to worship in person. Maybe it's being more active in your faith community, your church, your congregation, and encouraging and building up one another there. Maybe it is some of those, those baby steps. And the beautiful thing is God sees that as the kind of abundant fruit that he's looking for as well. And the son of the landowner makes it possible. And he inspires us to strive to bear that abundant fruit. See, most of us, I'm assuming, haven't been hired on as an executive chef in an exclusive restaurant or, or hired to a lucrative contract as a, a quarterback or, or signed on to some movie rights. No, actually, you've been called to something greater. You've been, you've been hired and placed in God's vineyard. And what he calls you to do makes a far greater difference than, than any one of those vocations. What he's called you to do is to bear fruit. 
And when we bear that fruit, the blessing of that kind of fruit is that it, as we said, not only leads our Lord to grin from ear to ear in delight when he sees that fruit, but it's the kind of fruit that is going to bless others and the kind of fruit that is going to have eternal results. Let's get to work. Amen.